Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, where today President Joe Biden is actually in town for his thousandth time, and unfortunately, he is not doing my podcast. He should. Um, But I'm excited today because, as listeners know, I've talked to someone from every state, including D.C., but I've only had one guest from the state of North Carolina and, uh, you know, he didn't win his election. And North Carolina elections are so neat. The politics are so interesting, good, bad, and different. Uh, so many um, unique people running for office at all levels of government. So I'm really excited today to talk to my new best friend, one of my new best friends. Her name is Ashton Clemens. She's a state representative from North Carolina. And we're going to talk about her story, education, and hopefully why you should run for office too. Uh, with all that in mind, um, Ashton, thanks so much for talking today. Sure, it's my pleasure to be with you. So I always like to hear about what's going on in different states, but the first thing I always have to ask people is, um, have you always cared about politics? Has it always been like in your family, in your blood, or was there something that kind of at some point in your life made you think, I gotta get involved, not just in your own campaign, but like in, in paying attention to get people to vote, donating, volunteering, whatever it is. Was there anything that kind of was an impetus to you yeah, I um, I mean, I think my answer is yes to both of those. Mm-hmm. I uh, grew up um, with a dad who led the Democratic Party in my county, where I grew up in, Al- in Alamance County, North Carolina. Um, and so I would say I grew up with a healthy respect and mm-hmm. engagement with politics. Um, my dad took us to vote every time. Um, and... You know, we were Democrats, and he ran the Democratic Party, but George H.W. Bush came through Graham, which is a pretty small town on a train, actually, and um, he, my dad got us out of school to go and hear him, because he was the president, mm-hmm. and, you know, so there were, I think I grew up with a, a respect um, for the role of public service, but I never you know, aim to, to be in politics ever, um, and went to school to be a teacher and was an elementary school teacher and then principal. Um, but my turn really was after the 2016 election and, um, like many people across the country, I felt really called to try and figure out what more I could do. Uh, and I started, doing a lot of organizing, particularly with women in my area, um, in Greensboro, where we live now. And that just kind of like one step led to the next, led to the next. And I got connected with a bunch of people. And, you know, in 2017 was sitting at a lunch where someone said, you know, we're here to recruit you to run for the state legislature. So, um, and at the time I had a six-year-old and twin three-year-olds and I was an assistant superintendent, and I was getting my doctorate in education. So my first response was definitely, uh, there's no way I can do this right now. Um, and then, I, I, you know, over, over the conversations kind of got to a point with feeling like there was so much work to do in our state and in our community. And if I can have a positive role in that, how can I not at least try? That's kind of kind of where I got to. Um, so I ran in twenty eighteen for my first term, and one, and then one in twenty twenty. So I'm in kind of the beginning middle of my second term at the legislature. 
And you said you know, you had three kids at the time. I, I talked about my kids being around the same age. Uh, yeah. And I always take my kids to vote. Um, last year, 2020, I voted absentee for the first time. And I felt bad because I liked taking them to the polls. Um, and I probably could have because I was ended up standing outside the polls anyway, but I'd already registered to vote absentee. But I'm sure you instill that in your kids, too, that it's important. Do you think it's – how important is it, even from a young age – to just make sure kids know at an appropriate level that you should take the role of government seriously? I think it's critical. Um, I think it is as parents. I also think it's part of our, or should be part of our expectations as an education system. Um, But I actually did my dissertation about women running for office. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned there was that the number one predictor of engagement in community um, politics, voting, and all that, when you're gro- when you're an adult, is whether you went to vote as a child with your parents. So mm-hmm. it is it is really fundamental that we are teaching our kids in lots of different ways um, how important being an active participant in our democracy really is. And especially, I have sons, but it's especially true if you have young girls. Because there's only one state that has a majority female legislature in the whole country, and that's Nevada. What what does that representation mean, or lack of representation mean, in terms of government? Yeah, so the North Carolina legislature's about 25% women. Mm-hmm. Um, when we joined the House in 2018, there were zero women out of 120 who had school-age children, none. Um, And in my class, four of us joined. We're now down to two. We lost two, unfortunately, in 2020. Um, We actually picked one up, though. So, but, you know, I think diversity of thought is required if we're going to pass legislation that best meets the need of a diverse state like North Carolina. And that means having people of color. It means having women. It means having women of different ages. Mm -hmm. It means having men of different ages. Um, We're a part-time legislature that makes $13,000 a year. That's actually full-time. And so it really, you know, some of those structures prevent having the diversity of thought that we need. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, it's really hard to have young kids and not know your schedule day by day and have to go back and forth and all that. So I think there's lots of lots of barriers, um, but I do think it's on all of us to diversify who's in leadership every single time we can. Um, and that includes certainly women, but it, it's, it's broader than that, too. Um, you know, we made a lot of progress, actually. I mean, this, I only know this from my dissertation, but we made a lot of progress, actually, from, like, the 70s to the mid-90s on women in, mm-hmm. in political leadership. But we've really stagnated since then. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we made some some growth in the past couple of years, but then we've also gone backwards in a certain way. So um, it, it's we have a lot of work to do to get representative leadership in our state houses and nationally and in our local elections as well you know i've talked to so many people especially lately who have reiterated the same point i talked to uh state representative jessica carjala in uh, montana edgar flores in nevada and a few others who talk about the legis- the part-time legislature low pay and you're not allowed if you're in office you can't say we get paid too little like you're not allowed it's taboo yeah, that's right but it, it all those things create a barrier, especially like you said, younger people, younger parents 
who have soccer practice to take their kids to their, their kids' school district, um, school schedule, and full time job, maybe multiple jobs. And so you have people in office who might be good people, but they're um, more retired lawyers, real estate agents, people who have the time and ability to do it that a lot of people like yourself probably don't have the means to do. That's right. Yes. I mean, you you must, at least in North Carolina, you must have other sources of income, um, strong sources of income, mm-hmm. if you are serving in the legislature. So it does lead, I think, to a, a lot of retired people. Um, a lot of you know property owners or real estate kind of kind of backgrounds, or people who have you know family money or um, spouses that can help. I mean, it's just it's and all of those things become barriers then to getting the the type of people that we want to have or the diversity of people. It's not that those are not the right people, but we want a, a representative um, body, and we don't we don't have that now. Now, you talked about after 2016, you were organizing locally. You had a leg up, I guess, on some other people because of your knowledge from your family. You you got into that knowing that what organizing means, right? Like, if someone's – and you obviously learned along the way, too. But if someone is interested in getting involved for the first time and you say, oh, you should – you can get into organizing, what would that mean really quickly to someone? I mean, I think organizing at its core is bringing people together to have some effect that you're trying to to do. So that's how it started for us. Like, we felt, I felt, me and this other woman, um, we were like, we have to bring people together. We have to do more. And then when you bring people together, you try to build um, a structure that, moves those people towards some sense of action uh, to improve our communities. And so I think at its core, that's what organizing is. But I, I, you know, I think it literally can be as simple as sitting outside a grocery store and talking to people in your community, bringing four people together and and coming up with something you want to, to work on together. So I think you just have to start Uh, you know, I think people a lot of times, um, we want to know the right way or the right path, or we look at someone else's path and think uh, that that's what I want to be, so I'm going to follow that person's path or something like that. And I think in reality, you just have to live well and embrace what's in front of you and do what you can, and, and your own path becomes clear. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that getting involved in politics in any way is very intimidating, but the, the barrier for entry, the initial barrier for entry, is very low. Anyone can, can start. I think that's right. And, you know, I think being involved in politics is going to a school board meeting mm-hmm. or, you know, going to county commission or watching the budget process. I mean, I, there's a lot, writing a letter to the editor, I think there's lots of ways to start. Now, you mentioned going to school board meetings and you are an educator and you have been very involved in education policy. So that's a big reason I reached out to you is because education is really under attack in the past year with a lot of astroturfing. Uh, against school boards what is going on that you're working on in a state legislature that is that can be done or that you're stopping from being done um you know we we have many of the national debates about education are playing out in north carolina as the country Mm -hmm. um i think what we are most i mean what what keeps me up at night is that i 
we are losing our commitment to public education as a critical uh, infrastructural part of who we are as a society. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, public, traditional public school, so this is why I believe so strongly in education. We say that we are a state and country where every person has an opportunity to succeed and contribute um, and to pursue their their definition of what they want their life to be. But the the literally the only place we try to live true to that value is in our traditional public schools, where every student, no matter who they are and what their barriers, we're going to send a bus to you, we're going to give you food, like whatever it is you need, we're going to get you here and provide this opportunity. Now, our traditional schools have a long way to go, and I've spent my life really in our most at-risk schools doing important work where we weren't yet meeting those obligations. And the fundamental belief of who we are as a society is tied to a public education system. I believe that. And I believe we are abandoning that responsibility in North Carolina and and we see nationally in some ways as well. And so, you know, we, we talk about policies and there's a lot of, of course, like strategies and funding's a big issue right now with all the American Rescue Plan money and all those kinds of things that are occupying our time. But I think at its core, that's like our fundamental risk right now really of the education debate that we're having and going back to your personal story do you think a big problem with that debate is that the people making the decisions don't have the skin in the game that most parents do that there's a lot of people who are making decisions on an ideological basis or they don't have kids in school for wondering and you know i'm not talking about republicans or democrats just people in general don't have that you know, timely perspective on the impact of education? I think that's one of the challenges for sure is, you know, it's actually a short, while it feels long to those of us who have young children, it's actually actually a short period of time where even if you are a parent that you have children in the school system. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, I definitely think that's one of the challenges. I also think this is what I see as a fundamental difference. The questions we should not in my opinion, we should not be asking ourselves the question of what is right for this student or what is right for a student or a family. That's not the question of education. The question of education is what is required for the future that we want to see for every child. Mm -hmm. And if our question is what's right for a student, you know, some of the the bigger policies like private school vouchers or, or charter schools or whatever may be easier to wrap your mind around because you're asking the question about a student or a family or a community. But if your question is what is right for our society as a whole and who we want to be and, and say we are, to me that you, you have to believe in adequately funding the traditional structure of public schools so that every kid has an equal opportunity to succeed. So that's what I see as a fundamental difference is, is like, um, you know, even within my own county, if I were thinking about our school system just for my own three kids who will be at twin first graders and a fifth grader next year, then I would, 
approach the work differently than if I'm thinking, what is right for 75,000 kids in Guilford County? Mm -hmm. What is right for the economic development and the economic growth of Guilford County? Like, those are the questions that we should be motivated by, not what's right for three Clemens children. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a big, what I see as a big philosophical difference in the debates. So how, what, if you were in charge of education, just like they said, Ashton, you know what's going on here. What, how would you approach it? Like, what would you want to see done as an overall strategy? Like, not details, like, oh, 10 million here, sure. 5 million here, but like, you know, how would you define that outlook to make things better? In North Carolina, we are in a 20 plus year court battle because we have not adequately funded our schools. And so we're at a at a crux of that right now where the judge, I mean, we, so we had a study that basically we need to spend $8 billion more to live up to our state constitution's promise um, for a sound basic education for every child. And, you know, there's a, a nonpartisan third party person group came in to analyze what that looks like. So we have a plan for what it should look like in our state. We just don't have a willingness to fund it. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I mean that, and that's in the context of massive surpluses from what we expected would be happening. So like for me, that's step number one is we have to adequately fund it period. End of story. There is no substitute for adequately funding our schools. There is not. Um, but second to that, and I have been working on and hopefully we'll make progress on, I really think our school accountability system is broken. And so much of what we do as a system of education stems from what that accountability system shows us. And so I think working to improve and have a more accurate reflection of our schools will then improve all of the things that we do based on that system. So I, that's one thing I am working on and ho hopefully we'll see some progress on. It's interesting that there's so much uh, political talk about accountability for education and it's been going on forever, but there's not the same talk about accountability when it comes to healthcare, right? Like that seems obvious to me, like, oh, let's look and say, are we, do we have less people with this chronic illness or are we having cancer rates? Lower? Do you see that as a legislator too, that the, we, like we focus on accountability for education at a, in a different way than we do for a lot of other political issues? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I think we micromanage education very differently. So, you know, for example, the state board of education in North Carolina is appointed, um, their appointed positions, but the legislature passes laws all the time to tell the state board what they have to do or have to do this or have to do that. We don't do that for the board of nursing or, you know, the board of architecture. Like very rarely are we passing bills directing those boards what they have to do. But that's not the same in the legislature uh, with education. Um, I think we supersede local boards of education much more than we do any other entity. And I really think... I think because most people, everybody was in school, and then most people have had kids or grandkids in school, and I think from a true desire to make it better, everyone feels like they have the answer on what education should do or needs to do or must do. Um, but, but I also think it's starting to be used 
purely for political gain. And it's just really heartbreaking to me. It's really frustrating to me, too, as a parent, someone who cares about public education, multiple people in my family are teachers. And, I mean, you know from having young kids, I I went and saw what they do at our school now, and it's so much more advanced than when I was a a student 30 years ago. Uh, The stuff that kids are doing is actually really good, I think, beyond what people recognize. Is there a way to fix it? Do you think that there's a way to get forward to make those political debates better or can you only make them better by you know winning more elections in the future i don't know i ask myself this all the time to Mm -hmm. be honest i want to believe and i joined the legislature to believe that we could collaborate and compromise and work together and solve problems and there have been moments in my time in the legislature where that has been true I also feel like even in just this three, you know, three years I've been in the legislature, more and more and more is about winning power than solving problems. And and so I believe I I mean I'm I'm an optimistic person and I you know we have to stay in this, we have to keep the the fight going and all that kind of kind of stuff. And I think it's true that it makes me sad how how many problems there are in our state and how much energy we spend not solving those problems, even even if or being willing, almost being willing to compromise and collaborate to solve those problems is does not equal power or political success. And so it's almost like dissuaded in the current environment that we're in. And I think that that's a big problem. I you know that. Can that be fixed? Yes. And I believe over history, we see the pendulum swing back and forth and it will again, but I don't know how long that's going to take. You know, some of the recent events, January 6th in particular, not being enough to fix it makes me very concerned. It it does for me too. Uh, I have this book I got for my kids when I went to DC a couple years ago called House Mouse, Senate Mouse to teach kids about Mm -hmm. like how the political process works. And it's totally wrong. It says, like, they, they the, the mice wanted to have a national cheese, and one group said this kind, they compromised, and then someone said, no, let's use this for the national cheese. But that's not how political debates are, right? There's not, like, one side saying, let's do X, and one side saying Y, and then you come in the middle. Like, you're coming at it from totally different universes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's ideally like the value that we want it to be, but that's not how it plays out. You're right. And um, it's almost like if you do that, then right now in this environment, they say, you know, if I'm, if I'm the mouse that's advocating for cheddar cheese, but I come up with Colby because I have some cheddar and some of the white cheese, it's almost like the cheddar cheese people are mad at you because you didn't get cheddar cheese. Mm-hmm. And the Colby people are mad at you because you made their side compromise. And you're left a little bit in the middle. But but what we lose, which is what really breaks my heart, is people are suffering. And they need our help. And there are problems that we have to solve. And we can. And we could. And we don't. I mean, we choose not to as a, as a political structure in the goal of of gaining power and and that that's hard and it's going to take all of us demanding better i think um to to make progress yeah i just talked to this great person from florida alexandria ayala 
um, who's a school board member, and, and we were talking about this group called Politicom, because as I can tell from talking to you, you care about education especially and other issues too, but people forget that people in office are actually human beings, right? Like, you see the comments on social media, the way people probably call your office too. Do you think that there's a big disconnect where people are just treating people awfully, whether it's constituents, people from out of state, I know have like you get calls from, including me, I guess, but I, I try to be nice. Um, <laughs> but that, that's a, I'm sure that's a big drain on people who are state legislators who need to do good things, and yet it takes a lot of humanity out of the process when you really do feel the the weight of these issues. Uh, yes, but it's an example of how being a school principal was quite helpful preparation because okay. when you're a school principal, the same thing happens. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you. When you serve a role where you have to do hard things, people are going to uh, be frustrated at your decisions at times. So, so for me, it's not it's okay to separate people being mad at Ashton the Democrat or Ashton the school principal um, and still feeling like Ashton at my soul. One thing I do wish people saw or understood more what is. Like, from the outside, it makes it really seem like, I don't know if you feel this way, but, like, on that, if there's a 20-page bill, chances are good there are going to be good things in that bill and bad things in that bill, mm-hmm. right, especially as a member of the minority party where we're not writing the bills. And so, if, if I vote for that bill, of course an outside person or group can pick one of the 15 sections to say is not good and then berate you about that one. Um, But we have to ask ourselves, is this more good than bad? Mm -hmm. And, and, and I always do that trying to stay true to the people that send me to office. And so I think from the outside, it was really easy to feel like, Oh, I would never vote for that. I would never do this. Or this is, this person or idea is all good or all bad. And then from the inside, you just realize it's complicated and there's a lot of gray between the black and white here in the legislature. Um, And I, you know, in our current environment, people are looking for that one section out of 15 to, to hammer you with on social media or whatever, instead of, the vote you're taking to in totality because we're less concerned with solving the total problem and we're more concerned with lessening power of a certain person to increase power of another person or party and and so i think that's that's how social media plays into what we're doing right now yeah i saw that like the budget is obviously the most important thing that any state legislator does that most people in a state don't really think about until it impacts them but, you know, we had a lot of, we have a Republican legislature, but a number of Democrats voted for the budget this year because they were able to get funding for a health department in a county that had didn't have a health yeah. department. Or um, they boosted education, especially for Allentown. So the Lehigh Valley Democrats are like, this is a big win for us. And sometimes it's hard for people to see that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we're, we're about to start the exact same debate here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is hard. Well, speaking of debate, people are debating in themselves when they see the legislatures, they see, or city councils or other things, and they're like, well, why should I run if I, I might be in the minority party like Ashton? I might not be able to get my bills passed. I have to deal with these frustrations. Why, why would you encourage other people to run, whether it's this year, 2022, or beyond, 
and start that process? Well, I think lots of reasons, but ultimately I think people should do it. Um, you know, first is you're going to feel frustration. So if, if you are a person who is paying attention to what is happening in the city or county or state or nation, you're going to feel frustration. Now, you feel frustration as a state legislator, but at least when I'm listening to NPR and I hear a story, I can say I am doing what I can do in every way I can to try and improve what our community is. So I think that's one is you get to feel like you are using your life to do what you can to improve the community around you, which is really invaluable. Um, second, you know, I would say, it's when I ran in 2018, there were 18 first time women candidates running for the North Carolina house in our caucus. And we really became a posse. We like met once a week. We had this social media thing that we stayed connected with. And that's what I wrote my dissertation on six of those women. And only two of the six won, me being one of them, but all six of them, running for office led them to another great new step that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes, like I said earlier, the path that you're going to take in your life has to be your own. And if you feel called to it, it's an amazing opportunity to literally live outside of your comfort zone and challenge yourself and learn and grow. And I mean, it, it just, pushes you out more than anything else I've ever done for sure. Um, so I think for, for our world, we need good people to run, but I also think for personal development, it's, it's a huge opportunity to, to change your life. And we need, we need people to do that, but we all, the world also needs people willing to do that. I strongly agree. I, I've made more friends from running for office and organizing and being part of it than I did at college, I did in high school. Not that I didn't like those friends. Those are good people too. But, you know, you share a bond that you can't get in some other aspects. And also, with politics being so divisive, I know I can call my friend and say, like, my friend Kyle's birthday today. Like, be like, oh, let's talk about this thing. Whereas my other friend, like, well, do I want to talk to him about that and strain our relationship? So I, I, I think you can't get it better than that. Um, and like you said, you can fight for good things. If people want to learn more about you, I found you on Twitter, Clemens4NC. Is that the best way to get in touch and learn more, or are there other ways that people should follow you to, to learn what you're doing? Yeah, that's that's a great way. We have Clemens4, the number 4NC is also our Facebook, um, and then we have a website, too, um, and always email, which can be found on the website, but Twitter's good, too. Yes, um, and thank, thank you for having me and for being out there encouraging different voices um, to run for office because I really, even in our most frustrating days, it matters that good people are in office on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. You know, in every office that we have, it matters that we have good people doing it. So we need more of them. I hope more people will. Well, I'm glad you're one of those good people, Ashton. You have a, we bring a great experience and perspective, and I hope that we could see more of you in the future and what you can do. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for including me on the podcast. Great. And if you're listening, hopefully you'll take this story and you'll run for office too, wherever you are in this country. Again, follow the podcast, like, share, subscribe, comment, and uh, you know, let me know who else will be profiled on here and look for some new episodes coming up soon.